On this week's Behind the Idea, we return to single-stock, off-the-beaten-path ideas as we discuss Blue-Green Vacations. The company is a timeshare developer, and the industry has a bad reputation. But Mike argues that the concerns may be overstated. People who buy timeshares, if safety and value is right, he mentions, you know, charging in high interest rates to good credit people. I sort of feel like everyone knows the game with timeshares. We're also looking at the nature of BBX Capital, the 90% owner of Blue Green Vacations, which had bid for the company previously. I talk about what worries me. That's what I'm most concerned about. Not so much them harvesting the cash flows for their its sugar business, but what's to prevent them from just making a bid that buys out its other shareholders on the cheap? What, you know, What's your protection there? So I guess that's what I would dwell on. I should note before we begin that we referred to concerns with the industry and the previous owner of the Manhattan Club, and all concerns are alleged by the New York Attorney General. This is a busted deal story in the small cap space, the sort of idea that has been forgotten amidst both the hunt for quality compounders and the recent market volatility. Does that open up an opportunity? We discuss on Behind the Idea. Welcome to Behind the Idea. I'm Daniel Schwartzman. And I'm Mike Taylor. Today we're returning to our roots as we're talking about a small cap special situation. We're looking at Blue Green Vacations, ticker symbol BXG. The timeshare and real estate operator was poised for a buyout by parent company BBX Capital, but BBX called it off due to a lawsuit. The lawsuit has since been resolved but the company trades much lower than the stated impact on the business. Safety and Value, a Seeking Alpha author with a nose for this sort of idea, argues that this isn't likely to persist, as either BBX Capital wanders back in to buy the 10% of the business it doesn't yet own, or the relative value lifts BXG's shares higher. We've got a squeeze out here, and we're going to discuss the dynamics on today's Behind the Idea. But before we begin, Behind the Idea is the podcast that looks at what makes great investment analysis work. We take ideas from the Seeking Alpha ecosystem and break them down piece by piece. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice, and neither Mike nor I have any positions in any stocks mentioned. I'd also like to mention that Behind the Idea is brought to you by Seeking Alpha Pro Plus, which Mm. provides members. Yeah, really, Daniel. It really is. Cool. Seeking Alpha Pro Plus, uh, Daniel knows about this. He helped start the business, uh, yay, so many years ago. And what Daniel would tell you if you asked him is, uh, Seeking Alpha Pro Plus provides its members with Seeking Alpha's highest quality, professional caliber investment analysis, including the idea we're discussing today. Pro Plus subscribers got seven days of exclusive access to Safety and Values Blue Green Vacations article to get an early look at great investment ideas and real-time alerts to lots of our best analysis, check us out with a 30-day trial at seekingalpha.com slash pro plus. That's seekingalpha.com slash P-R-O-P-L-U-S. All right, all right. Two quick shout-outs before we begin as well. First, I want to shout-out Dan Stringer, he's a Seeking Alpha author, and he's a fan of the podcast. 
he was the one who suggested we look at safety and values work in general and have him on the podcast. And he said, there hasn't been a lot of small micro cap discussion on the podcast. It hurts because it's true. So here we are working on filling that gap. Thanks, Dan, for your support and the suggestion. And go Packers, Dan. (laughs) All right. We got a Packers fan. I don't think the next shout out is a Packers fan. We want to shout out Rodney Smith, who emailed us this week from Australia, where he listens to the podcast. He was curious about the lifter puller song at the beginning and end of the podcast, but also said, quote, I have a financial background, but not in equities. I've spent time educating myself in how to evaluate stocks. But of course, just knowing how to read a balance sheet or calculate the PE is not good enough. Listening to you guys rap about metrics, business models, and the limits to what we can know about a company is really adding to my knowledge. Going through your back catalog of podcasts and requests. Just keep doing what you're doing. It's educational as well as entertaining. My heart. (laughs) It's just nice to get it. It's just nice to get an email like that. Thank you, Rodney. Thank you, Rodney, so much. Wow. That's what we're all about here. You know, we haven't said we're all about the feedback recently, but we are all about the feedback, good and bad. We've uh, we've shouted out our uh, detractors as well, but man, that's like it. It almost makes makes it all all worthwhile just right there, doesn't it, Daniel? It's also, I should say, Rodney. We hope your winter is going well. We shouted out our Southern Hemisphere listeners last week, and there you go. So Northern Hemisphere listeners also welcome to contact us. Yeah, where are you? <laughs> BTI Pod at SeekingAlpha.com feedback, requests, complaints. And if anybody can leave a review on Apple Podcasts, I think they're still the premium review provider for podcasts. It would be awesome. I think some Western Hemisphere. We really, Western Hemisphere, folks. It's your turn, <laughs> your turn to step in. Really calling your shot here. Yeah, yeah, there it is. <laughs> All right, let's get rolling here, Mike. We've got Blue Green Vacations, Timeshare developer, I'm not sure if that's the right way to put it, but what do you want to break down the story? Uh, you want me to break, how, how do we go here? Where, where do you want to start? I'll take a first stab at recapping the idea and then we'll probably have to color it in. You'll have to fill in some blanks all in, inevitably lead because there's a lot going on here. So the tee up of the situation is that this is a busted merger arb play. The Majority 90% shareholder BBX Capital had tried to buy out the company at about $16 a share. It already owns 90%. It's trying to scoop up the remaining 10% take the company private. Safety and value outlined some reasons why it should do this. One is just the simple fact of not having two public companies, which creates regulatory legal costs and disclosure, all that kind of stuff. Another is that it can just... Uh, capture all the dividends, which, you know, we could talk about whether that's efficient or not, but there are a bunch of reasons why BBX wanted to take the company private. It still might. That's one of the big arguments here, or take it private, acquire it, and then it would all be under this other publicly traded company, BBX. The main driver of the downward price action and the creation of the value opportunity, according to safety and value, is that these merger arbitrageurs, people who buy the target companies ahead of consummation of a merger to capture the spread when the deal actually goes through, 
have walked away from the deal once it broke. And that's created a cascading tumble in share price. And safety and value thinks that a deal could be back on. And so there's a speculative aspect to this play that someone could still buy BXG. He also highlights another potential headwind for the shares that he believes is temporary, which is a lawsuit between, and I was sat up in my chair when I saw this, Bass Pro Shops had gotten into a legal fight with this Blue Green Vacations. And we could talk a little bit more about that, but he thinks that that's resolving more or less in a neutral manner to for BXG and therefore that drag on shares is unjustified. And then finally, one other key highlight is this timeshare property that is sort of oddball in its own right, Manhattan Club, the Manhattan Club. It's a property in a very attractive part of Manhattan, New York City, that is a timeshare property, which is another thing I'd never heard of. We're pioneering all sorts of different vacation possibilities that I had not known were available. Anyway, due to some regulatory issues and um, troubles with the New York State Attorney General or the previous owner, this is a potentially an asset that has a lot of hidden value on BXG's balance sheet. So I think those are the main things. Busted merger ARB, the Manhattan Club, and the resolution of a lawsuit that had potentially been spooking investors. What's interesting to me, and I think we'll get into a little bit more, is that I believe safety and value probably knows a lot more about the operating side of the business, but that's not really the main focus of the idea. So I think we're going to have probably some open questions about BXG in terms of how it how it works and how we sort of think about the timeshare operation in general. Uh, what are your first impressions, Daniel? I think there's the, yeah, the operational aspect. To me, on first blush, this doesn't look like a terribly attractive business, or at least the author at some point I think uses the phrase a somewhat disreputable industry, which is his argument is that that's the New York attorney general approved the sale of the Manhattan club. So they have an imprimatur in this disreputable industry, but it's an industry. There was a, I remember a short case a few years ago for, I think the company was called diamond resorts or something of that nature. And then that actually went private, private equity deals. So I don't think the short case played out. And so that's, that sort of stands out to me on the front end is that this just doesn't seem, we mentioned a lot of financialization going on here, a lot of layers and even the author's sort of argument in bull case, for example, when talking about the Manhattan club, he says that they're able to sell a timeshare that it got for free for thousands of dollars. And one of the reasons is information asymmetry, which is basically that they have pushy salespeople who will, I mean, literally he calls them so aggressive and skilled. And so people buy for the retail price when they don't have to, you know, there's some perks in there as well. So I think that's the industry on the one hand, but then I think, what I like about the idea and why I think it's still of interest if you disassociate that aspect is the 
the BBX Capital and their role here as the parent company, or however is the best way to call them. But as a 90.4% owner, that means that, you know, they're a majority owner. They, in theory, should be able to buy out BXG relatively easily. And I think that cuts both ways. But that, to me, figuring out their motivations and figuring out what they might do to me is the key to the investment story here more than I can take on its face for now what Safety and Value said of if the attorney general approved them, then they're probably of a better caliber business. And so let's not worry about regulation so much. But to me, that's the that's the story is what's BBX Capital going to do, what's likely. And so I don't know. So either one of those areas has a lot to unpack, but to me, those are the two key things here. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the timeshare thing. I think the reputation is sort of more among consumers potentially, and maybe regulators more than among investors. So I'm not sure necessarily that it's the business model that ha- that the the business opportunity has a bad reputation so much as that it's associated with this kind of aggressive sales tactic. And not to get too much like rapacious fun, I get to put on my capitalist hat, but uh, oh boy, look out! But people who buy timeshares, if safety and values right, he mentions you know charging in high interest rates to good credit people. I sort of feel like everyone knows the game with timeshares, and I have a friend actually who he goes to the timeshare meetings to get the free vacations. And then he's just really good at resisting the sales tactics and sort of is an unusually adept negotiator. And so his arbitrage play is to go in, listen to the presentation and whatever they do, he says no, and he's capable of that. And he knows that. So he, he's the one who's padding the SGNA line on, on a lot of these, on these, Income statements. A little bit of Robin Hood there, huh? Yeah, yeah. So, I, but my my sort of take would be, you can find lots of information about why timeshares may not be appropriate investments for you. And everyone's a big boy and a big girl. If you go into the timeshare presentation, you ought to already have been warned by someone that it's not a good deal. And these are people who can afford to make this kind of mistake if it is a mistake at all. To me, it's a there are also some there's some value to, you know, the flexibility. And so I'm not so sure really that the business reputation is all that much of a concern for me. I usually am a little bit more bleeding heart, but I think this is something I could talk myself into. It doesn't seem as bad as <laughs> healthcare or cigarettes or some other things or, you know, dangerous products that have clear externalities that are the main drivers of profitability. I I didn't expect you to go libertarian here, but I think I think I know what's kind of influencing you here is you shared you shared an example of one of Blue Green Vacations lodges. And <laughs> I'm looking at the it's it's big, big cedar. cedar. 
Big Cedar Lodge, bigcedar.com, folks. There are all these beautiful aerial shots. The intro video has Tiger Woods talking. It's got golf. It's got it's got bass fishing. There you go. And there it's in go. the Ozarks. The beautiful Ozarks. Probably and maybe now getting more no, it's probably still underrated as a result of the TV show. In fact, I think the TV show paints an inaccurate picture of what the Ozarks are, at least compared to the promotional materials on James Peter Lodge. They don't have meth heads <laughs> robbing people or uh, electrocutions on the docks or any of the other Buckwild stuff that happens in the Ozark show. And in fact, this, you know, I take issue with Ozark now that I see the level of corporatization of the Ozarks region as evidence of Big Cedar Lodge's website. It's not this wild backwater uh, area where there's no law and people deal drugs with <laughs> impunity and money laundering is the chief. Well, I mean, maybe I shouldn't jump to conclusions, but it doesn't look the same as the Ozark TV show. I'll just say that. I assume without looking at the map, I think the Ozark is not a small region. I think it's a big part of Arkansas. So it's possible that there, there are dualities here, Mike. Oh, that this, yeah. Ozark is, <laughs> Ozark is accurate in its portrayal of the, God, I keep watching. I've still got this promo video. I can't take my eyes off it. <laughs> Folks, go to bigcedar.com and check out, check out the kind of partnership Bass Pro Shops that may be possible uh, between these two companies, but let's get back. Let's get back on track. <laughs> I, I, don't, I think you're illustrating the aggressive and uh, skilled sales tactics. Look, here. I'm comfortable with the timeshare sales tactics. It's clear that you know I might even have a, a bit of a knack for it. But but business wise, <laughs> let's get back. I'm looking at the income statement. I don't know if you can just do this kind of common size income statement analysis on a company like this, but I think it's interesting. The story kind of maps out the gross profits on the timeshare sales are 83%. So it's a massive markup over the value of the company. But then 60, some 60, 70% of revenues are, are immediately consumed by SGNA. So that's the aggressive sales tactic that my friend has to sit through. And listen, you got operating margins in the 15 to 25% range over the past 10 years. So not a beautifully glorious Google money printer, but a business model that does seem to have some attractive qualities to it. So I just want to push back on the reputation thing. I don't know if that's from the investor perspective. I think, you know, this is at least just taking a glance at the income statements and the balance sheet, which we didn't go do a deep dive on. It doesn't look like something where I like am my stomach doesn't churn when I look at it. I'll say quickly on the balance sheet what's interesting both here and at BBX. We'll get to BBX later, but a lot of receivable backed notes payable, both recourse and non-recourse, which I don't know the full accounting there, but just stands out. Junior support, like there's a few different lines. There's not just a short mm. short-term debt current portion of long-term debt, long-term debt. There's like a few different lines there. So, Oh uh, yeah. Interesting. I don't, uh, but yeah, that's, I think what's just to go to the valuation for a second, safety and value prints a relative valuation. And we've got 
blue green at 7.7 EV EBITDA, which is the low is the bottom of the peer set he pulled for pure play timeshare companies. Marriott Vacations is all the way up at 17. Hilton Grand Vacations is more or less where Blue Green is, and Wyndham Destinations is 10 times EV EBITDA. So that's where the relative value comes in here. And yeah, I, to your point, like I get I get your argument, which is essentially it's you don't have to hold your nose per se, and it's unlikely that something's going to throw a monkey wrench in this process here. So you can look at the value. You can argue what the value should be. Again, I think that EV is kind of, there's some time needed to work that out. And, um, and I think the peer set, you know, married vacations, multiple kind of skews the set a little bit. So I don't know what's the story there, but yeah, I mean, I think the, there's a case here. The author talks about the dividend yield, so there's a case for kind of sitting on your sitting on your butt with this one and waiting for it to play out. It's not the most obvious value case in and of itself, but I think that's where the other side of the story comes in. The other thing I think we wanted to get to on the operations is this whole Bass Pro Shops lawsuit, which I'm going to, or well, the Manhattan Club also potentially, but the Bass Pro Shops, I just wanted to, the author essentially did the math on the old deal versus the new deal that they settled. And because they, there was just arguments that blue green would kind of, I think the idea was that Bass Pro would sell a tour. And as part of that tour, blue green would get, get a chance to make their sales pitch. And then they're supposed to pay a commission back to Bass Pro, but it's one of those things where they would, you know, instead of making the sales pitch, they'd say, why don't you come back on your own without Bass Pro and then make the pitch and sort of try to change the sales funnel, which, yeah. Classic I guess. showrooming. <laughs> so, we've right. We've seen that behavior ever, you know, we've seen that behavior before. So. You know, go in the bookstore, check, look at the book, and then leave. Order it on Amazon. Cold. Same deal. In this case, who's Amazon? That's Blue Green is Amazon, and Bass Pro is uh, the mom the bookstore. Store. Yeah, Bass Pro. Yeah. So they've come up with a new deal that is not essentially what they did. Instead of just doing a fourteen percent commission, they've now done a fixed some sort of fixed and variable payment to Bass Pro. Just saying, here here's a cut automatically. They're even donating to a charity of Bass Pro's choice every year and so they kind of came up with a new deal and the author did some math which argues that it's essentially a 50 cent 56 cents per share impact which as we tie back to the as a reminder the stock trades at about nine and a half dollars a share the deal that bbx capital had to take the rest of bxg private or into bbx capital was at 16 dollars a share and BXG went public at $14 a share. And so we're talking about the deal fell apart because BBX was worried about this lawsuit, which to me is also kind of curious since they're basically the, the owner. Like, I don't know what they were worried about taking on more responsibility, but regardless, they 
they called it off for something that had a 56%, 56 cents impact, and yet the stock trades several dollars lower. And so I think that's the crux of the opportunity here. Yeah, I agree. Let's talk about <laughs> everyone. Yeah, again, go to bigseater.com. And uh, <laughs> I just, I had not. I didn't know that Bass Pro was sort of selling vacation experiences. I thought they had the retail locations. I guess this is just on me and my own ignorance, but there's this, there's this whole fishing experience. And now it makes sense to me. Like, well, they've got the TV show. Yeah. It makes sense. My father-in-law is an Eagle scout. He takes us fishing whenever we go out to visit him out West. And we just go to a, we go, we, they live in Missoula, Montana. And we go to the, Rainbow Bend is a bend in the river where you can get rainbow trout. So it's a very picturesque and cute little spot. And we just bait fish out there. Uh, my wife is actually really good at catching fish. I'm not. I'm terrible. But it's a big thing. It's a big industry. And, you know, we have I have friends who go on big fishing tours and stuff like that. So it's just an example of a blind spot I had. But, yeah, looks cool. And it's an interesting angle for a timeshare property. I think it sort of makes sense for it's a lifelong pursuit that people would want to commit to having a piece of a property in the same place and go back year after year. Should we get into the Manhattan club? This was weird. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, I know you're, okay, you were so, interested in this. So safety and value highlights that 2018 deal to buy the Manhattan Club, which is in Midtown, and it's called the Manhattan Club, and it kind of looks the way you'd expect something called the Manhattan Club to look. It's a timeshare property, which I had not heard of timeshares in Manhattan before. It's in a really prime location. Safety and Value points out that hotel rates are very high in New York City, which Daniel and I can attest to because we're, you know, we're we're cost conscious people, and even when we're, you know going to visit the New York offices, seeking alpha on the company dime. We still are trying to look for good deals because we're responsible employees. And uh, it's frustrating because it's hard to pay a reasonable, reasonable rate when you go and stay in a hotel in Manhattan. They're just, you know, it's just a real tough. Always demand, always demand. So it's interesting that one of the sort of arbitrage opportunities that's cropped up in that market is timeshares in New York City where you, yeah, I just had never heard of this. So Manhattan Club, 235 suites, and the previous owner got into all sorts of trouble with the attorney general because (laughs) the management was charging, quote, very high ongoing maintenance fees and rented out rooms to the public instead of making them available for timeshare owners, end quote, which I think that makes sense to me as a blight on... (laughs) on the public general population and a reason why the timeshare industry may not have the best reputation. If you sell something to someone and then don't allow them to use it, that's sort of uh, (laughs) over even my rapacious capitalist line. I'm not that libertarian where you should be free to do that. I think if you sell (laughs) something and the person wants to, to use the thing you sold them, then uh, that's part of the deal. You got to let them use it. You don't get to sell it to more than one person at the same time. Right. It's sort of in the, you get, it's overbooking. Yeah. Look, call me a socialist, call me what you want, but that's how I feel about this. So <laughs> I'm out on a limb there. So 
Then safety and value infers from that that the legacy Manhattan Club timeshares are valueless and says, quote, Blue Green can take them over for zero dollars, deposit them into its trust again with this financialization and sell them for a great deal of money. I believe the market is missing this significant opportunity. Weird, right? Also, my first reaction to that was why invest in Blue Green? Like, Daniel, let's try and get a fund together and try and grab these timeshares for zero dollars. <laughs> and, you know, Seeking Alpha should have the corporate apartments at the Manhattan <laughs> Club if for zero dollars. I think we could pay more than zero dollars for that. I think we could probably set a bid above zero dollars. Yeah, I think that's fair. And you know what? If someone wanted to buy them from us, we would sell them. And I, I'll say this right now to the New York Attorney General. When we would sell something, the person can use it. That's my my hand to God on his promise to you. <laughs> that is ethical capitalism right yeah, there. Right. Yeah, see? Look, it's a tough world out there, but it's not it's not that tough. Shouldn't be able to see. So we don't get into exactly it, or I don't have a strong takeaway for the hidden the amount of value that you ascribe to the asset. And I think uh, safety and value is sort of just saying that this is a hidden opportunity, but, oh, maybe he does talk about it a little bit, but I didn't get a qu- clear quantification of it, but I thought it was a really interesting sort of piece of the story. So I just wanted to flag it for listeners. I guess I buy it. It sounds it sounds compelling, although a $0 value, uh, there's something a little unusual about that. What did you think? I would yeah I don't know the, the the whole process there and the fact that I don't know what he literally means by what we said earlier about you can buy for less than the retail price I don't know who is selling it I don't know how the mechanics here yeah. well yet but the I think what was more to me interesting about this is the idea of they're focused on I think their focus is more on the big cedar lodges of the world but the fact that they have exposure the author says they have resorts from california to new england which is a good span of the country and also that from the redwood forest (laughs) to the new york islands that's that's thanks shout out to woody guthrie the who (laughs) speaking of critic of capitalism yeah exactly but the Manhattan, so the Manhattan Club, he also mentions a few other markets that they're looking at, San Antonio, or sales centers, rather. San Antonio, New Orleans, Chicago, all of, I haven't been to San Antonio, but the other two are great American cities. So it's just, it's a reminder that, you know, and I think despite your time in Missoula, the time I spend in Western Michigan, I think we're both sort of have lived lives as city dwellers and this is a suggestion that this is not just playing to people who are more interested in fishing or the Eagle Scout crowd. It's also playing to more of somebody who might want to visit the city as a tourist. Yeah. Jason Bateman's character in Ozark, (laughs) the crooked financial planners of Chicago. (laughs) We are getting Jason Bateman. Welcome to come on the podcast. If you're listening to this, Jason, my wife is a big fan of your work and yeah, we're getting covering the spectrum here, but the not enough financial planning in Ozark. I just have to say, they missed the opportunity <laughs> for some real drama there. 
They did a good job, but anyway, sorry. That just go to Cedar. Big <laughs> Cedar Ozark. It's unclear what we're pushing here on this. We're pushing a lot on this podcast, but the so yeah. So I think that's what's interesting. I don't. I I wasn't able to get my head around all the. There's some bad debt expenses. I didn't. I couldn't get everything around the Manhattan Club. I think the fact that, as the author says, it is kitty corner from Carnegie Hall. So we're talking, what, Midtown West? That's a pretty attractive great, area great to area. be. Yeah. And, yeah, so so I think, it's, I think it's indicative of, to bring it back to the investment story, I think what we have is pretty good downside protection is what I would actually think about it as, which is to say the thesis here is primarily what will – I think talk about next the BBX capital story, but even if all fails, you have the the optionality to of a business that's not trading super expensively and that has a few shots on goal to increase their revenues, increase their yeah. growth, etc. Yeah, that brings me to one thing. I think I don't know if you'll be able to answer this, but it's a question that sort of crept into my mind. The expansion of the sales force, including to Chicago, and make sure that Jason Bateman buys his Ozark property down down the way at Big Cedar. It occurs to me that I'm not really sure how the, the sales operation for a timeshare works. So you have this inventory of timeshares, and then you sell, I think, a perpetual share in your inventory to the buyer. That's your customer. So Jason Bateman goes into blue green vacations office in Chicago and the new salesman, they finally worked out the details, makes this incredible pitch. And he says, okay, I'm going to buy this Ozark property and or a share in it. And then I'm going to own that in, in perpetuity. Are, is there something there where you like are eventually capped in the amount of revenue that you can earn? And is there some issue there in terms of, I guess it's the same maybe as a home builder or any real estate developer. You you develop a property or in Blue Green's case, I think sometimes they have someone else develop the property and then they collect a fee for selling the shares in the asset light financialized version of the model. But just quickly on that, are, is there some, there's probably some operating risk that they're outgrowing their sales staff relative to the properties they own and the value in the properties they own. We also, there's some shades here of BBX having this being sort of their star investment, their best investment uh, with a pretty solid IRR. Their other investments haven't worked that well. I wonder if they're a great steward of the assets and at a 90% ownership that's got to be some concern in terms of being a minority shareholder. So two questions, one on the business model and the other on, on whether BBX is actually an advantage here. So let's go to the business model. I think the, the way I understand timeshares, which could be wrong, listeners, please correct us, is, yeah, you essentially sell a share of the right to use the apartment for a certain amount of time in a given year. And I think we're... I think as a base case, you can probably, I think if you look at it as compared to a home builder or as compared to apartment REIT or something, your advantage is that you can probably, you know, if I sell you something that comes for a month, 
the annual version of that is probably going to be cheaper than 12 months. And that's sort of here in reverse. If I sell 52 weeks worth of access to big, my big Cedar Lodge, you, I can probably get a higher base rate than if I just sold you an annual mm-hmm. lease. So I, I assume that's that's like your base level. But then I think where potentially some of the shadiness comes in or some of the leverage, as you might think about it, is not every not everybody will come in, right? So my operating costs are marginally lower if instead of 52 weeks a year, it's only occupied 40 weeks a year. I guess that would be probably one way to think about it. But then also probably I can sell 60 weeks a year or 80 weeks a year knowing that I can probably make it work. And so then I get more, I turn that over more times than in theory yeah. I actually have. So that that's how I sort of understand it. And then I think on the cost side, what I, it strikes me that that's not quite as risky because they're probably commission-based. And so in theory, your cost structure is very much variable with your revenues. And so you, you on the one hand, as you pointed out, SG&A is always going to be high, but it should almost never eat up all a gross profit because as long as you're selling enough, like your fixed costs are, I guess, the office space or your management team or whatever else. But I don't think that that's, I think they can probably get enough going. And that's where it's attractive. And that's what the author said, which will lead into your next question, uh, is that you can harvest these cash flows to then invest in the next properties. And then like in theory, in theory, you have a long reinvestment runway here. And let's not forget that if the attorney general does not catch you, <laughs> you can sell the properties to customers and then not let them use the properties and rent them out to somebody else, which is, that's an attractive wrinkle. <laughs> it's a late stage capitalism right there. That's, that's America in the 2010s. There you go. But the BBX capital thing, I think, I think that's a fair point. I I don't know if it matters to because the thesis here is that they'll buy it out, right? And so I don't think that's the part that I would be concerned about about them mismanaging because I'm just ultimately hoping that they eventually they they've already made me an offer for 16. They pulled it, but I've I my hunch is that they'll make me an offer again. I guess if you're playing, it's a it's a, a potential dent in the long term traction of the business and BBX Capital's other investments include three main things. They include real estate. It includes Renin Holdings, which I think made screens or something for doors. And I think they're based in China, but relatively small part of the business and a retail chain called It's Sugar, which it like with the It's elided into <laughs> sugar all caps. So I just shout out to it's sugar. That's yeah, what is it? It's sugar. I also, I, I'm sorry. I'm going to say that I looked at BVX capitals, 10 K. And at some point they wrote in addition, it's sugar invested capital in several new retail locations, including the FAO Schweetz location in New York city, which is operated by it's sugar and three other retail locations. FAO Schweetz. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure it's Schwartz, and I'm pretty sure it closed, didn't it? You would know as a Schwartzman. <laughs> it's 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 a little bit. So yeah, I was like, come on, but yeah. So I I think I'm more concerned. I would be concerned about this. I I think the thesis here is they've offered 16. 
They're likely going to come back. They just want to buy out that 9.6%. They've sort of shown interest in it. They, you know, maybe they floated the shares public at 14 and it hasn't ever really taken off. And so now they're like, all right, let's just fold it back in. There are some weird things here in the sense that BBX Capital is a smaller company than BXG. And I'm not sure what to make of that. It's cap, it's market cap is about 380 million. It's, it has a bigger enterprise value, but not bigger than BXG. So there's some weirdness to there that I didn't totally make sense of. But also, this is what the trick is with a squeeze out. I didn't get into the proxy details or whatever else to understand what your protections are as a minority shareholder. But if I'm BBX, like I can sort of offer whatever price I want. I don't really know that you can really push me around much if I own 90% of the business. Like Carl Icahn can't really what's he gonna do? Buy the other nine percent and then argue with me? Like I I don't know what's <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly uh, what he would do. <laughs> oh, Uncle Carl, you've got to join us today. But the so that's to me that's sort of the crux of the story. That's if we do get a chance to speak with safety and value, that's what I would want to really ask about. Is just I don't know what's to stop. For example, with shares trading at nine and a half bucks a share, what's to stop them from just bidding ten dollars? You know, it will not even eleven. But like, why do they need to pay a big premium here? And What's in their long in long term interest to do? B, by the way, BBX as a company, its shares have not gone in the right direction at all. There's also, you know, the market is volatile right now. It's it's a different climate perhaps than when this offer was made. But I think that's what I'm most concerned about. Not so much them harvesting the cash flows for their its sugar business, but what are they going to, you know, BXG is is bbx to a large degree 83 percent of his assets what's to prevent them from just making a bid that buys out its other shareholders on the cheap and what you know what's your protection there so i guess that's what i would dwell on i guess the only thing is like if the premise is the deal is going to go through and it might go through on an unfavorable price i just think i don't know we just saw a bunch of bag holders get whacked on the merger arb and no one seems to want to own this business for its intrinsic characteristics. So if you're trying to make a quick buck here, I think that that would be a risk. And I would love this story if there was a great business case, that, like a clear understanding of the valuation relative to the business prospects, which again, don't look terrible to me. I kind of am, as a rapacious capitalist, kind of interested in, in this. I think there's a lot of financialization, a lot of Wall Street hair around the business model. The receivables issue you mentioned before is kind of perking my ears up. But I think what I like here about this idea is that there are very clear avenues towards value realization, but it's just kind of gross, right? I guess that's how you you get value opportunities. Something has to look a little bit gross. It's great work though. Yeah. Well, and what I so maybe just to set up set up from here, I think that's where I would spend time with safety and value is trying to pick apart that. Even though we spend a lot of time with the operations, which I think is, I think it's dangerous to not do that. I think a lot of times, and I think that's something about merger arb is a lot of times you ignore the operations, and that I think exposes you to getting things getting burnt. We're going to be spending the next couple weeks at least talking about. Uh, one of our favorite books, Joel Greenblatt's uh, You Can Be a Stock Market Genius Too. And I always remember from that, he 
swore off merger arb, which always impressed me and which I wish I had. I think merger arb can work if you have the right flexibility, patience. I, I wasn't able to do it. It didn't suit my investing strategy at all. And I just think that that's something that's what's interesting here to me is the idea. I love that idea of the shareholder base has to change. And I, I love in the sense of I don't know if it's true or not, but like if it really, if that's how the world works, but this idea of, well, the merger arbs were in, then they got out and nobody stepped in and who's going to step in. And, you know, this is where as an independent investor, you have an opportunity, et cetera. I think that's always an interesting dynamic. And that's what I think the author is in part arguing is the case here. And so I just wanted to, I guess I gave a preview of what we're doing on the podcast, but also just a little, that's just something that occurs to me here with this argument, this changing shareholder base. Yeah, maybe we need to get back to that Greenblatt blueprint because this is a classic Greenblatt thing, although he is cautious about merger arb in general in the book. Uh, but we'll talk about that and uh, shout to Safety and Value and shout to the Seeking Alpha community, Dan Stringer. Make sure you hit up Safety and Value to encourage a podcast appearance so we can get more into this idea. And uh, go Packers. Visit bigcedar.com and <laughs> seeking alpha pro plus. Oh yeah. But more than bigcedar.com. <laughs> seeking alpha.com slash pro plus for all your interesting investment idea needs. Yeah. All right. So that potentially you can then someday not this is not promissory, but in theory, you could then check out Big Cedar after Pro Plus. Yeah, if you well, we don't give investment advice here. So Not investment I won't, advice. I won't ha- tell anyone which transactions to prioritize. We should leave it there. We're doing right. very well. <laughs> so All let's right. leave it there. <laughs> Good stuff. All right. Well, thanks, Mike. Thanks for your Thank time. Thank you, Daniel. Yeah. Let's uh I hope we get a chance to explore this a little more. All right, cool. Yeah. All right. All right. Talk to you later, later, bro. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Behind the Idea. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did or you didn't, please leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. It'll help listeners find this podcast in the future. We're bracing to cover Joel Greenblatt's You Can Be a Stock Market Genius 2 over the next few weeks. And if you have any takes, questions, or favorite parts, email us at btipod at seekingalpha.com and let us know. We're going through this over a few episodes. This has been Seeking Alpha Productions. Thank you for listening. See you next week. Yeah,